You're listening to Collegiate Chaos. Here are your hosts, Matt Levine, Ben Dixon, and Sam Ostry. Welcome to episode five of the Collegiate Chaos podcast. I'm Sam Ostry, joined here by Matt Levine and Ben Dixon. We're back after Thanksgiving break. College basketball is in full swing. We're going to get into a lot of that today. College football still plowing on. Um, a lot of COVID cancellations in both both football and basketball. We're going to get to all of that and more today. Uh, how are we doing, boys? Doing well. Doing well. Yeah, happy to be back after a two-week break. Oh, yeah. Great show. All right, so we're going to start with um, a recap of Maryland football's game last week. Uh, loss against Indiana, 27-11 to 11 loss for Maryland football. They're not going to be playing this week because they were supposed to be playing Michigan. Michigan had to halt uh, football activities due to COVID. So they're Maryland, third game canceled this coming week. What did you guys see from Maryland football last week against Indiana? Well, with 23 players out of the game with COVID, uh, I thought going into it, I really didn't know what to expect. And I'm kind of surprised with how well their defense played in terms of stopping the pass. Uh, stopping the run was a whole other thing. They couldn't really do that well. And Stevie Scott just ran all over them. And there was a lot of direct snaps and things like that. But when you're talking about stopping a pass offense, Michael Penix Jr. really struggled in the first half. Unfortunately, went down with an ACL tear after the season. But when he was in the game, he struggled a lot. Um, just missing. I don't know if it was him missing his receivers or Maryland's secondary that was lacking Nick Cross and Tarheeb still, their two best secondary players. I don't, I don't know who was stepping up or if it was just Penix was off the mark. But with a two-week layoff for Maryland football to come back, 23 guys down, and I think Indiana could have the best receivers in the Big Ten. Uh, and it, it has been showing up until that point, and they were absent in the entire game. Um, and that's because the run – that could be because the run was working against Maryland's defense, but the way players stepped up and really stopped the pass was impressive to me without Nick Cross and Tarheeb still. Yeah, to bounce off that, I thought the defense was pretty impressive. They did give up 27 points, but I, I think part of that has to do with the fact that they were on the field for pretty much the whole game. I mean, Indiana had possession for over 36 minutes of the whole entire game. But overall, I thought the defense played a great game. Like Matt said, the secondary looked great. Made Panics, who looked like an NFL quarterback against Ohio State just one week earlier, look like an amateur, like Division II quarterback against the Terps. Stinks that he's out for the year, but I thought Maryland did a great job of containing him. Uh, talking about the Maryland offensive side of the ball in this game, I thought it could have been a lot closer, and I thought Maryland could have jumped out to a big early lead if it wasn't for some self-inflicted mistakes. Uh, Tulia Tagovailoa missed a couple wide-open guys in the end zone. It happens when uh, he's rusty, hadn't played in, what, three weeks before that. So... You don't like to see that missing wide open receivers, but overall I did think he started playing better towards the end of the game. Uh, there's a lot that we would like to see carrying over into this week. Obviously that's not going to happen as Michigan now has COVID cases, but overall a solid performance in Maryland missing 23 players. Would have liked to see it a little more competitive, but can't really complain. Yeah, I think the score, I think this game is actually closer than the score indicates. Um, I mean, you, you guys talked about Maryland's defense. They showed out. They limited, contained Penix for most of the game. In terms of Maryland's offense, Tulia struggled. I mean, he was 17 for 36, three picks. In the first half, their first three trips to the red zone, they came away with three points. One was a field goal, and then two times Tulia threw um, interceptions in the red zone. So, I mean, that just can't happen. But when, you're, when it's your first year as a starting quarterback, you're young, you're developing, he's rusty. He's going to have games like that. Um, I still have a whole lot of confidence in Tulia moving forward. Rakeem Jarrett was out. Jake Funk was out. They were missing a lot of key guys in the offense. It's one of those COVID noon sleepy games for Maryland. But I still have confidence for them moving forward. It's a shame they're not going to be playing this week. And we'll see when they're back in action. But they're still practicing, still meeting. They're moving forward um, as planned. So now to get into um, college football playoff discussion real quick. So right now, the college football playoff, they released their second week of the committee rankings. Alabama's at number one, Notre Dame's number two, Clemson three, Ohio State four, Texas A&M five, and Florida six. That could get shaky as a lot of those teams are going to be playing each other in SEC championships, ACC championships. So 
a lot of discussion is around Ohio State. Obviously, the Big Ten started much later than everyone else. Do you guys think Ohio State should be four? Should they be lower? Should they be higher based on the games, number of games they've played and the eye test, strength of schedule? What do you guys think about that? I think they they should be four. Um, and despite – you can't punish them for starting the season later and you can't punish them for having games canceled because every other team's had to deal with the games canceled as well. Uh, but when you're talking about – primetime players and one of the, they're a top team in the country. There's no argument. Uh, they, they struggled against Indiana. They, I thought they were going to win by double digits and they didn't, but they're a team that has the capability of winning a national title and beating a Clemson or beating an Alabama. Uh, and when you have a quarterback like that, that is probably going to be the second pick in the NFL draft or the second quarterback taken at least you have to keep them in the playoff despite only playing four games so far. Yeah, for me, I think if you look at Ohio State, you look at the talent they have, how they've played so far, there's no doubt that they're at least the fourth best team in the country, I think better than that. But when you look at it from the other perspective, Ohio State only playing four games, to me, I really think they're hanging on uh, really by a thread to that number four spot. I know the committee said they had a debate between them and Texas A&M due to the lack of games that Ohio State has played. And they will be playing this week against Michigan State, bearing anything that happens there. But now that Michigan's out this week against Maryland, potentially sets up maybe a missed matchup for Ohio State and Michigan next week, which if that game's not played, Ohio State would be kept out of the Big Ten Championship. For me, if Ohio State does not play that game and they only play four out of the eight regular season games, it's just a tough draw for them. And I really don't think they've played enough games to really warrant being in a playoff spot despite being the top, one of the top four teams in the country. And I really think that's what the committee will think. If they only end up playing four or five games, it's really going to be tough for them to say, you know what, they deserve that number four spot, opposed to maybe Florida or Texas A&M team who played a full schedule and really only went one loss along the way and dominated a bunch of teams. Yeah, I mean, um, Ohio State, if they – I think if they um, – it really comes down to next week if they can play Michigan or not because a lot of discussion is about, will the Big Ten change the rules? I saw the Wisconsin athletic director said yesterday that if like they would consider changing the rules for Ohio State, because that's really the only chance the Big Ten has of a team making the college football playoff. And it's like, as Ohio State, those players, those coaches, Ryan Day also, by the way, won't be coaching this weekend due to COVID, but the, like you can only control what you can control. I mean, it's not, it's not their fault that they played that few games I mean they want to play as many as possible they'll play anyone anywhere anytime because they just they just want to make the college football playoff and they want to contend for the Big Ten so I mean I think the committee recognized before the season and in the games they've played based on just the eye test like how dominant they are and if hopefully they can get a Big Ten championship in and or qualify for it and then get that Big Ten championship in and then the committee will recognize how dominant they are and put them as that four seed in the playoffs but again they also have to win out Another um, topic of conversation for the out of the college football playoffs is BYU, who's undefeated to start this season. A lot of people think they're too low. They're right now at number 13 in the college football um, playoff committee rankings. They have an awesome matchup that they're not going to be playing Coastal Carolina, who was originally supposed to play Liberty. That game got canceled because – or Liberty had to uh, bow out because of COVID. So now – BYU is going to be stepping in. That's going to be an awesome matchup. Do you guys think BYU is too low? We're going to get to that matchup later, but just in terms of the rankings so far, what we've seen, what we've seen from BYU, an undefeated team, should they be higher in those rankings? I think so. I mean, you look at them at 9-0, and while they haven't played the toughest schedule in the world, uh, they have blown out pretty much every team they played, including a road game at Boise State where they absolutely dominated them. They were ranked at the time. Obviously a big scar on their resume. But if you look at some of the teams ranked ahead of BYU, I don't think there should be a single two-loss team ahead of BYU. I think that's just a huge disrespect to a team that we know is very talented despite the lack of schedule they played. I think it's a no-brainer that BYU is one of the top ten teams in the country with a top, three, top four quarterback in this upcoming draft in Zach Wilson. I think it's a, they're a really talented team. I think it's pretty disrespectful that you put – not one, not two, but three two-loss teams ahead of an, a 9-0 and undefeated team. You really don't see that too often. 
But with that said, BYU will have a chance to prove themselves against an undefeated Coastal Carolina team this weekend, who the committee also put at 18 and 9 and 0. Um, really interested to see what happens in that game. I think if BYU wins that game big, maybe they'll start getting some respect because that's a team that the committee has in their top 25 rankings, and we know how much those top 25 uh, wins mean for them. But at the end of the day, I do think 13 is disrespectful. They should be uh, somewhere around the 10 range for me. I think they should be a little bit higher also, but at the end of the day, they're not getting into the top four. And it doesn't matter how – for me, it doesn't matter what their record is. doesn't matter who they've beaten. You're not putting even, – even despite that they have a Heisman Trophy candidate in their quarterback, I still – I don't think you can have a team like that in the playoff. You need the Alabamas. You need the Ohio States. You need – at the end of the day, it's all about ratings, unfortunately. It's all about money and revenue and what's going to generate the most revenue having that having BYU and Texas A&M or having Ohio State and Clemson I think Ohio State and Clemson wins that every day um even despite losing games right but just to, to bounce off that quickly I don't think BYU is a top four team either I don't think the situation there is but if BYU goes undefeated and they're somehow not in the New Year's Six Bowl the disrespect from the committee will be one of the craziest things I've ever seen yeah I think, I, I think they'll get I, I they should get a bowl I mean, I mean, there's there's no shot that they're going to be a top four team similar to UCF a few years ago when they went undefeated and claimed the national championship. I mean, if you don't play the best teams in the country and you're not in the, that power five schedule, you're not going to um, make the college football play if you're not going to be one of those top four teams. I do think their matchup against Coastal Carolina is going to be big this weekend. It's how, like how, how do- it's not just if they win or not. It's how dominant they are to see how much they'll jump. I think 13 for now is too low. I mean, their quarterback is really good. He can, he's a gunster. I think they've they've done everything they possibly can. Obviously, they don't play the best teams. Thirteen is too low, but I agree with you, Ben. I mean, they should definitely be in one of those New Year's New Year's Day bowls, and I hope we get to see them in. Any other th- thoughts on the college football playoff rankings before we get into some matchups for this weekend? Um, for me, really just. Uh, you see these couple teams lingering around. Uh, Florida at six, Texas A&M at five. Texas A&M will not have a chance to play in the SEC championship, but Florida probably will. If, uh, I'm just interested to see what happens. We can talk about it as as it gets closer to the selection date. But uh, if Florida can beat Bama in the SEC championship and Clemson beats Notre Dame like we expect, I think that makes for a difficult scenario for the committee. Obviously, just a lot of hypotheticals right now. But uh, I do think Florida sitting there at six is on the prowl, just one big win away from potentially cracking that top four. Yeah, I think, like Ben said, it's that's another thing. You have that A&M and, and Florida right there. Uh, and I, I, as far as I think, I think Ohio State still gets in there. But when it comes down to it, it it'll be interesting. Like if Florida beats Alabama, if they are they able to play each other in the – Yeah, that would, that would be the potential. Yeah, so – if that happens, that it'll it'll get crazy. It'll be like a March Madness kind of it thing. It could get messy for sure. And then also in the ACC, I mean, I think Clemson or Notre Dame, one of those teams will not be in the playoff when it's all said and done. They should see each other, presumably if they win out, they should see each other in the ACC championship. If Clemson wins, I don't see how you look at Notre Dame and say, okay, they beat Clemson the first time, but without Trevor Lawrence, I don't see how you put them in as one of those top four teams even though they've been great this season. And if Notre Dame wins, Clemson's now a two-loss team, and Notre Dame would have beat them twice. So I don't. So Clemson's 100% out of that discussion. So I'm excited for that one, too. All right, to get into some matchups this week, we'll touch on the big ones. We've been talking about Ohio State. Ohio State at Michigan State this weekend on um, Saturday noon on ABC. Ohio State, we talked about they have to win out, and they need to – play enough games to contend for that Big Ten, to qualify for that Big Ten championship, and then win that to have a chance at the college football playoff. Michigan State's off an impressive win over Indiana um, a couple weeks ago, which was a top 10 team in the country. What do you guys think about this one? Michigan State's just just a weird team to me. I mean, I I really don't understand. Nine-point win over Northwestern last week. Uh, They obviously beat Michigan earlier in the season, but they lost to Rutgers at home the first week. They got blown out by 42 to Iowa in the third week of the season. 
just really doesn't make they, they don't make a lot of sense to me to be honest I really don't think they're that good and you look at this game obviously Ohio State needs to win and I think they're going to come out with a vengeance they're going to come out a big statement game I think you're going to see a big game from the uh the power duo of Justin Fields and uh Master Teague I think you'll see a big win for Ohio State potentially four or five touchdown win I don't think it'll ever be close and I think you'll really see Ohio State put their fingerprints all over this game and really send a statement to the committee ahead of hopefully uh, their potential matchup versus Michigan. Really hope we get to see that because Ohio State, if they're not in the Big Ten championship, uh, it's it's a crime to me. Yeah, I think Michigan State is so weird as well. Um, and they're kind of a duplicate of how this season has gone, just up and down. And every week you have no idea what you're going to get. And that's exactly what they show out on the field. Every week is completely different. Uh, and they – the fact that they beat Northwestern is crazy. Uh, and then they get blown out by Rutgers and they get blown out by Iowa, like Ben said. It's just up and down every week, no idea what you're going to get. Um, but when when you play like that and you're going up against a team like Ohio State, I think Ohio State is going to blow the doors off them. And you can't really – even if they play their best football, it's not going to work. Uh, and that's that's just the bottom line. Uh, but Ohio State, when's the last time they had a game? Was that against Indiana? Yeah. So, like, two weeks ago now? They might have a little bit of what Maryland had, a little rust. Who knows? But uh, I think Ohio State has a major bounce back. I think they should have dominated Indiana, and they're going to come back now and destroy the Spartans. Yeah. Um, my bad. It was actually – Northwestern, as you guys pointed out, that Michigan State beat last weekend. But Mich to me, Michigan State is just the epitome of the Big Ten this year. Um, the conference in football, it's just been all sorts of whack. And the only consistent thing is Ohio State when they've been on the field. I mean, they're just they're dominating everyone. The line is 24. I think they cover that. I think they absolutely blow the brains out of um, Michigan State. And we'll cover that one. And dominate. All right, the next next matchup we have here is Texas A&M, number five in the country, laying seven points against Auburn, who struggled, been very inconsistent this year. That's another noon game. That one will be on ESPN. What do we what do we see in this one? Texas A&M is in a weird spot, sitting at number five, but it really doesn't feel like they have a chance to get in the college football playoff because they're not going to be in the SEC championship game. So with this game remaining against Auburn. And they're going to play Tennessee the week after that. What they really need is style points. So if this game gets out of hand, they're going to keep their foot on the gas. Um, I think AM is a good team uh, led by Callan Mond at QB, obviously a great player there. But I really don't think they're the number five team in the country. And I think at the end of the day, it's really not going to matter because they're not going to have a chance to crack that top four. They'll be in a good New Year's Six Bowl if they win out. But an interesting game here. I think Texas AM. Should win uh, if it gets uncompetitive. Like I said, they're going to try and keep uh, pouring it on because they need those style points. But at the end of the day, Texas A&M's in a weird spot. Uh, if they win this game, they'll probably they'll stay at number five. But um, to me, there's nothing they can do to get in, bearing some crazy upsets. They can they can only control what they can control, and that'll be like I said, the style points that they need. Yeah, I think A&M also. Uh, they. I don't know if they're really the fifth best team in the nation, but the, I think the seven point spread might be a little too low, might be a little disrespectful to A&M. Um, we'll see. I think, like Ben said, they're going to keep their foot on the gas and try to get as many, uh, even if they're leading, they're going to try to keep scoring. That's the type of game that this is going to be. Um, and it's noon on ESPN. So primetime game should be fun to watch in the SEC. Yeah, the only thing with the, in terms of getting into the football, college football playoff for Texas A&M is if Florida beats Alabama, Florida will have beaten Alabama but lost to Texas A&M. And Texas A&M would have lost to Alabama. So it's just – it'll be – I don't think they would get in, but it would be all sorts of confusion there. Florida can beat Alabama. Um, in terms of this game, I actually think Auburn's – they've been really up and down this year. Sometimes they compete, sometimes they don't. Um, Texas A&M, they only have one loss to Alabama, but they're, they're, they've kind of been inconsistent at times. I think 
Auburn actually covers the seven. I think it's a much closer game than people realize. I think Texas A&M gets it done. But Bo Nix, for whatever reason, he's been much better at – I'm not even sure if there's fans there, but he's been much better at home this year. This is at um, – this game's at Auburn. So I think Auburn, I think it's going to be a much closer game than people realize. All right, the next matchup is number 13 BYU at number 18 Coastal Carolina. As we said earlier, this was originally supposed to be Coastal Carolina versus Liberty. Liberty had to cancel due to COVID. So now BYU is jumping in, make a huge statement game. College game day will be at Coastal Carolina for this one. Two undefeated teams going at it. What do we like in this one? Um, I like I like BYU here. I mean, it's it's obviously two great storylines here. It won't really impact the, the top four discussion, but it should have a major impact on who gets in a New Year's Six Bowl. So it's a, it's a huge game. From that standpoint, I think it's a pretty good quarterback matchup. Zach Wilson versus Grayson McCall at uh, Coastal Carolina. Uh, two explosive offenses. BYU averages 435 yards of offense a game. Coastal Carolina um, averages almost 450. I think we'll see a good one, a high-scoring game. Uh, it's at 530 on ESPNU, so they have, they have to squeeze that one in there. Not, not necessarily a primetime spot, but I'm sure it'll have a lot of eyes from the college football world everywhere. Uh, like I said, I think it'll be a good game. Interested to see what happens and some major New Year's Six Bowl implications here. I like BYU as well. I think Zach Wilson has just been phenomenal. Um, but again, it's it's rare to see two undefeated teams this late with that many games under their belt as well. Both nine and zero. I I think that's kind of the more impressive thing to me is that they've gotten that amount of games in both teams uh, with no hiccups there, and they find a replacement now. It's kind of like. It's if the Big Ten, the Big Ten should have done that. I think um, obviously there's so many different things going on, but the Pac-12 just decided to change that too. And if your game gets canceled, you can find a non-conference replacement. But that's that's another discussion. But I think it's a I think, shame yeah, the Big Ten's not doing it. It really is. But I think uh, Zach Wilson's gonna have a day here in, in the bright lights against another undefeated team and improve to ten and up. Yeah. I think that BYU does take care of business too. I think it matters how how dominant they are to the committee because a lot of the eye test, as we talked about earlier, the line I saw the opening line that came out this morning was BYU minus ten. I would expect that they win by more than that. I think this is going to be. I I don't know what the over under is, but I think it's going to be a really high scoring affair. These teams haven't played the best defense all year, but they put up a ton of points. This is going to be an exciting matchup. It's a little surprising. I mean, I know it's late. It's a little surprising. It's only on ESPNU. I think there's a lot of excitement around this matchup. Next up, we're going to go to Indiana, number 12, Indiana, 5-1 and one, at Wisconsin. It's only played three games this year. They're 2-1, and one, but they're still ranked 16. Wisconsin is favored by two touchdowns, by 14, which is a little surprising. Indiana, until last week, they were in the top 10 for two straight weeks. What do we think about this one? I like Wisconsin here. Obviously, Indiana is going to be in a tough spot with the loss of quarterback Michael Penix with the torn ACL. Really just a weird injury watching the Maryland game. Uh, got pushed out of bounds and kind of slipped on, like, the track, the outer part of the uh, the sideline, and just it was kind of like a freak injury. But um, I like Graham Mertz here. Wisconsin obviously only played three games. Really weird season for them, just like the epitome of what – COVID has been in college football. Um, it's only going to be their fourth game, like I said. Uh, Graham Mertz, he, he was the star of college football that first uh, week of the Big Ten that Friday night. Really didn't see too much from him after that. Tested positive, and he just kind of flew under the radar. I think in a 3.30 ABC slot, um, you're going to look at him potentially putting his name back in the national conversation, obviously not for any major awards or anything at this point. But uh, for the upcoming years as Wisconsin's quarterback, I think Wisconsin makes a statement here. I think that 14-point spread is pretty accurate. I think they'll win by about two touchdowns um, in Madison against Indiana. I wish Penix was playing. It would have been a much bigger game. But I do like Wisconsin here. Yeah, I also like Wisconsin. I don't think Indiana can be legit anymore uh, without Penix. The way he was playing was just absurd. He was getting himself up there into maybe a Heisman conversation. Um, I don't think he would have even been close to winning it, but he would have been up there to maybe be a finalist. But he goes down, like Ben said, freak injury. It didn't even look like he tore anything right away, but he just went down. 
uh, and it, it ends up being a torn ACL, which is terrible for him and Indiana and pretty much college football in general too. But I really don't think the Hoosiers are going to be as highly ranked and maybe not even as highly respected anymore based on uh, losing their star quarterback. So I would assume that Wisconsin's going to go out there and take care of business. Yeah, this seems like a loss. Wait, a little bit of a wasted year for Wisconsin and a bunch of other football programs around the country. I mean, I was before the season, I was really excited to see them and Graham Mertz play. They're not really – they've only played three games, three um, canceled due to COVID. So, I, I mean, they're not really playing for much anymore. I still think they'll go out there and and compete at a high level. I think they're a really good offense. I think Graham Mertz, who struggled last time we saw him, I think he's going to play well – 14, two touchdowns. I mean, I know Penix isn't playing, but it still seems like a lot for Wisconsin. Indiana, I still like their defense. They can they can run the ball. I don't know. I don't I don't really know about this one, but I'm I'm still excited to watch it. It's a good um, Big Ten matchup. That's 3:30 on ABC. All right. So next we got Clemson, number three in the country, eight and one, laying 22 and a half points at Virginia Tech, who's four and five. That's 7:30 on ABC. What are we liking that? I wish this was the type of game that had a sellout because Virginia Tech in prime time for big games, enter Sandman. There's really uh, not many more electric scenes in college football than uh, here in Blacksburg. But with that said, the COVID era, uh, I do like Clemson big. They're obviously the much better team here. Trevor Lawrence, Travis Etienne, uh, Mario Rogers. I mean, it's just a three-headed monster for Clemson so far this season on offense. Obviously, they have so many more weapons, and I think it's just going to be way too much for Virginia Tech to handle here. I like Clemson big. I was kind of shocked by how well Clemson came out and played uh, against Pitt last week. The first game back for Trevor Lawrence from, I don't even know, I think it was at three, three weeks he was out uh, because he missed two for COVID himself, and then I think they had a game canceled after that. So he comes back and just absolutely lights up Pitt. And I thought Pitt was a little bit better than that, but Clemson really showed that they're, they are a, they could be the best team in the country with Trevor Lawrence at quarterback. And their defense was unreal as well against Pitt. Um, and I was kind of shocked. I, I didn't really I, – I didn't really – I kind of counted them out a little bit. And I was like, oh, you know, Alabama's much better than them. But now I'm starting to think Clemson could be uh, a better team than, than anybody in the country with Trevor Lawrence at quarterback. He's just unreal. And I think they're really going to blow the doors off Virginia Tech here. J-E-T-S. We need him. We need him. We do need Stay him. Another year, man. Stay another year. Um, no, I'm kidding. He'll definitely go to the draft, even if it's the Jets, but without Gase. Um, <laughs> Clemson, I think they're going to destroy Virginia Tech. I think they easily covered 22 and a half. I wasn't really that surprised at, at the Pitt game last week because – they were really, for whatever reason, I mean, maybe we know the reason, but they were really upset about that Florida State cancellation two weeks ago. Trevor Lawrence just wanted to play football again. Dabo Sweeney clearly just wanted his team to play again. Um, so, I mean, they're, they're ready to just every matchup they get, they're just going to blow the doors off, prove the committee, um, prove the committee who they are, what they're capable of, get ready for that Notre Dame matchup that'll be in the ACC championship, and that's the one they need to win. And and they'll be sitting in the college football playoff. They're, I mean, Trevor Lawrence is incredible. We, we know that he'll be the number one pick if he declares, which I'm sure he will. So, yeah, I think Clemson easily takes care of business against not great Virginia Tech team. Last matchup of the weekend we're going to talk about. Al, number one in the country, Alabama, undefeated 8-0 at LSU. Alabama's a 29.5-point favorite. It's the biggest underdog for a defending championship. For defending champion in LSU, they're three and four. We know they lost their entire offense. They've been a mess this year. What do we think about this matchup? I think CBS should probably just show the rerun of last year's game instead, because uh, LSU just doesn't have it this year. Um, they obviously lost most of their starters. Uh, I didn't. I didn't think they'd be this bad at three and four, but they really couldn't get anything going last week against Texas A&M. They had a close game against Arkansas the week before that. Thirty-seven point loss to Auburn the week before that. Really just a disappointing season for LSU. Coach O will have him back next year. But um, I love Alabama here in a big, big blowout. I think Alabama is just going to be way too much to handle for LSU. 
I agree. Uh, and I, I'm also shocked, like Ben said, how bad LSU really is. I know they lost a ton of players, but they, they lost their best players too. But they are not good by any means. And it's, it's a weird season. Uh, I'm not used to seeing LSU under 500 here, three and four. But I, I think Alabama is just too powerful uh, in every aspect of the game. And they're going to give it to LSU this week. Yeah, LSU is one of those big programs this year that just for whatever reason is just, I mean, we know they lost their entire offense and don't think we expected them to be this bad, but they're one of those big programs like Michigan, like Penn State, that just has absolutely dropped the ball this season. Um, this is a revenge game for Alabama. They're huge favorites. I think they're going to blow the doors off LSU. This won't be close for a second from the start of kickoff. So, yeah, that wraps up our college football slate of the weekend for the weekend. We're going to get into some college basketball because college basketball is back. We've all been waiting for this for a very long time. So first, there's been a lot going on. We're going to get into some storylines around the country, some big matchups this weekend. We're going to start with our Terps. Maryland is 3-0. and They've won all three games by at least 18 points in really dominant fashion, shooting the three ball incredibly. They're going to be taking on George Mason this Friday and then go to a back-to-back and play at Giant. Uh, James Madison University on Saturday. Scheduling has been wild all across the country for everyone. There's a test, positive test in a program. They have to quarantine for two weeks. They can't play. Teams are trying to find replacement games. It's been wild. Every team just wants to get as many non-conference opponents in as they can. And that's what Maryland's doing here. They're 3-0 and so far with two not, more non-conference games coming this weekend. What have we seen from Maryland so far this year? I mean, to me, I mean, obviously three – uh, not the best opponents in Old Dominion, uh, Navy, and Mount St. Mary's. But you have to like what you see so far. Uh, Ayala has been a much improved shooter to me, uh, shooting 72% from the field in three games. The three-headed monster, him, Wiggins, and Morsell, has been awesome so far. I think it's going to be one of the best trios in the Big Ten. But you talk about uh, Darryl Morsell here. To me, he's Maryland's best overall player. He really just does it all. They say he's the ultimate clue guy. I think, I think he's more than that because – you look at Marcel, no one works harder than him. And from his freshman year, year over year until now, his shooting rise has been one of the greatest things I've ever seen. He's shooting 66.7% so far from, uh, from the field and from three-point range. So he's been awesome for the Terps. He's, he's really just that rock that you need. Uh, anytime you go into a drought, you just go to Marcel. Uh, he's been unbelievable. Dante Scott looks like he's taking the next step. And Galen Smith has been a pretty nice addition so far. So you like what you see so far. I like that the Terps have been a pressing team. I think it does uh, a great job to speed up the, the, other opponent, the opponents uh, or slow down the opponent's offense, and they only have 20 seconds left when they cross the court. But uh, obviously not many major takeaways you can take from those three games against mid-major competition, but um, the Terps are back. love watching them, and definitely are some positive takeaways for sure. Yeah, I think the, the point that, as Ben was trying to make, is the, the big three. And I like the depth this year as well. Um, you know, last year, I think it was all but one game, Jalen Smith or Anthony Cowan was the leading scorer. Um, so you lose both those guys, and it was just so much unknown if Ayala is going to take that jump, if Wiggins is going to take that jump, if Morsell can really lead this team, uh, Dante Scott going to take the jump, is Shoal Mariel ready to play? Just so many different things. And Turgeon did a great job going to get two transfers out of – big conferences in the ACC and the SEC, uh, both guys with a lot of experience. And they've really been, I mean, aside, uh, Jarius Hamilton has been great here. He was great in the last game uh, against Mount St. Mary's. And he shot the ball really well. He can get to the basket. He's a body. And he plays good defense as well. He's a gritty player. Like he's, he's basically like Dante Scott, just bigger. And it's crazy to see them compete for that starting spot. And I – I'll get, we can get into who we think should be in the starting five, I guess, in a little bit. But Turgeon, I, I like those two transfers he got in Galen Smith and Jerry's Hamilton so far. Uh, Galen Smith, he's, he's not the best five that you want at 6'9", but he's composed in the paint. He plays good defense. He doesn't really get fooled too much in the post. Uh, and, and if he uses his physicality a little more, it's going to be tough to compete against Garza and Kofi Coburn come Big Ten play, but against these non-conference teams, that's going to work down low is having a smaller guy 
at six nine and and just giving it to him in the post and he's composed he can make shots down there um, but I like the depth so far I like the ability to have three guys score in double figures um, I like the ability to not know who's going to lead in scoring you don't have to rely necessarily the way they relied on Cal and Smith which was good for them last year they that was fine that they relied on those two guys uh, and I think they would have went really deep in the tournament but not having to rely on anybody this year is is good uh, I don't think there's really pressure on anyone and Morcel as as you said Ben has just developed into this phenomenal player and he's really shown he, he can lead this team and Turgeon said he's developed into a leader more than anybody he's ever coached so that's high praise from the big man uh, and I, I like this team moving forward and I'm excited to see come Big Ten play how they compete against the big guys you hit it. My my biggest takeaway is just the the balance and scoring they can provide. I mean, they can go to so many different guys to get you a bucket. We know the big three in Aiello, Wiggins and Morcel, but I mean Dante Scott can get you a bucket. Jarius Hamilton. There's so many guys that you can go to in so many different situations that can just get you a bucket. And really, I mean, it's hard to evaluate exactly after three games, but Ayala's been incredibly impressive. Him coming off those high ball screens, hitting the mid-range shot being a playmaker, creating for his teammates, kicking out. It's all been incredibly impressive for Ayala, who's taking over a huge role in what uh, Anthony Cowan was last year. So that's been impressive. Um, Wiggins, I think, is their best talent all around. We want to see that leap as we can't really, again, we can't really evaluate based on the competition. But when we go into Big Ten play, we want to see that leap, especially in three-point shooting. I mean, they shot, they're shooting 44% from three-point range in those first three games, which is really impressive. Last year, they were at times really good three-point shooters and at times not very good. It was incredibly inconsistent. We want to see that consistent three-point shooting from this team. Um, I like their depth. Hakeem Hart, if he can, um, fun fact, Hakeem Hart knocked me out of my state championship, my state playoffs. He beat us in our in our in my final high school basketball game ever. But if he can hit the three ball, which is what he was brought in to do, then he'll be great. Um, so yeah, I mean, I just want to see, just want to see them continue to put on that press, make defense and offense. Andrew Wiggins has done a great job of getting the passing lanes because he's long. Again, not great competition. We want to see in the Big Ten, but even coming into the season before they had played a game, I thought they were not getting near enough respect. All these rankings, they were all they were all the way at the bottom of the Big Ten. We know how deep the Big Ten is this year, but they were at the bottom of the rankings of the Big Ten. I don't think that they deserve that. I still think they're very talented. They're going to compete in the Big Ten this year. I know they lost their two best players undisputedly, but I, I, I still like this roster. I mean, I think they're going to compete. I know, that, like, I just – I don't think people, national media, and the coverage that they're getting amongst the Big Ten contenders, they're just – I don't see them anywhere. I think they're going to prove a lot of people wrong this year. Yeah, I think the big litmus test will be uh... – for our next show next Wednesday, uh, December 9th, at Clemson, who's been a great defensive team so far this season, only allowing 50 points per game. Um, shouldn't have a problem with James Madison on Saturday, but that Clemson game is going to be the big test. I think if, if the Terps can go out there and win that game, it'll it'll show a lot of gumption and show a lot about this team. Be the Who do you guys thing. think should be the starting five come actual competition? I think it just, it just depends on – who you're going against. I Rotational. think a glaring, a glaring problem, not necessarily a problem, but something I've noticed is that the Terps are probably going to have issues extending to big men who can really extend their game to the perimeter because we don't have that sticks caliber big who's a freak athlete. Um, I think against guys like Coburn and Garza, you'll see Hamilton start, but maybe bigs that can extend their game to the three. I think you'll see Hamilton start at the five because he's, I think the one thing I've noticed from Hamilton is he's always in great position defensively. Um, he just he's got a high basketball IQ, knows how to play the game. I think it'll it'll differ, and I really don't think you can go wrong with either one. Yeah, I don't. I, I think Hamilton should be in that starting uh, center position. I think again, I wouldn't mind when they go small. Like Ben said, it really depends on the opponents. It completely changes their scheme because last year, I mean, Jalen Smith was a great rim protector. You could force the um, offensive players to the middle of the lane because you had that kind of rim presence. We don't have that rim presence in the middle of the lane. You kind of have to change your 
um, defensive mindset and force more baseline, sideline, take away the middle of the floor. So, I mean, it really – it's going to vary from game to game against the Big Ten bigs. But I, I wouldn't mind when I see them go small too. Yeah, I like that small ball lineup of Ayala, Wiggins, Morsell, Scott, and Hamilton. And if you talk about that big run they had against Matt St. Mary's, they were down by two with like 10 minutes left. Uh, and it was, it was getting close. And they were up 10, then down two all of a sudden. And then they end up winning by 18 uh, with a 23. They ended the game on a 23-3 to run. They had a 21 nothing run at one point, And it was that those five were on the floor. Um, so if you're talking about you want to score the ball, put those five guys out there. Um, I'm not sure how that'll work defensively against Garza and Coburn to keep talking about and the rest of the Big Ten, but it, it worked to score the basketball. And if they need to do that and they need a large run, those five are going on the floor. So I think that's how you start the game. Put those five on the floor and just score as much as you can. Yeah, it's also – we don't know how that would work out for Garza when we play Iowa, but on the opposing side, I mean – He's not a great perimeter defender. He's not great at moving his feet. So if you can space the floor and get all those um, offensive players out on the perimeter, Garza's not – like you can blow by him, and that's an, that's an advantage offensively. Exactly. All right. That's our Maryland basketball preview or little recap and preview as we head into more non-conference play. So we have some big games this weekend. Um, we're going to get into some more national takeaways too, but – on Saturday, we have Gonzaga, number one in the country, who's been beyond dominant, we're going to talk about, versus Baylor. Let's talk about those two teams. That's 1 o'clock on CBS this Saturday in the Jimmy V uh, Classic Championship. Let's talk about those two teams. I mean, Gonzaga's been incredible. I, I think this is Mark Few's best team at Gonzaga. Uh, last night was a little scary when Jalen Suggs went down, the star freshman. He's been unbelievable. What an athlete he is. Um, but they really – they wiped the floor with Kansas. That game wasn't really competitive in the second half. They destroyed Auburn, and they showed some guts in a, in a win over a, a gritty West Virginia team last night. I think when you look at college basketball so far this season, I think Gonzaga is the clear-cut number one team. I think you have Baylor is the clear-cut number two team. And then you could argue Villanova at three, and then I think it's everyone else. So I think, I think this is going to be the matchup of the year in college basketball. I know it's only the second week of the season. But you look at this game, there's star power everywhere. I don't know if anyone has a better big three in the country than uh, Suggs, Timmy, and Kispert at Gonzaga when you have guys like uh, Ayayi and uh, Andrew Nemhard, who was a former five-star, as fourth and fifth options. It's crazy to me. Um, I think Gonzaga's been unbelievable. Then I also think Baylor, while they haven't necessarily been too tested, they did beat Illinois big last night. Illinois, number five team in the country as of last night. Um, I don't think they're ready for the top five stage yet. I know we talked about that off the air. But Baylor's look good. Gonzaga's look good. This is going to be a crazy game. Uh, I like Gonzaga in a close one, but I think you're going to see the two best teams in the country that college basketball has to offer. And I think not only in December, the two top teams, I think when we uh, come to March and you talk about the two top overall seeds in the tournament, I think it'll be Gonzaga and Baylor. And I love these, these early season non-conference ranked matchups. You had Michigan State go against Duke. You had Illinois Baylor, as we said. Uh, you had Gonzaga and Kansas. There's just so many different there's, – there's a ton more of these ranked teams going up against each other. And you really get to see early on, uh, especially in a season like this year, what these teams have to offer. And like you said, Ben, I think Gonzaga is the clear-cut best team in the nation. Uh, Jalen Suggs, their highest-ranked recruit ever in program history, has been phenomenal. And I thought he tore his Achilles yesterday, but he comes back. So I'm working out right in the tunnel, just trying to get feeling back in his ankle. I'm not sure the actual diagnosis of that injury, but he came back in. That kid's tough as nails. And uh, a lot of people are talking about this guy as being a uh, future top pick. Uh, this guy is a five-star, best recruiting Gonzaga history, and they've had some good recruits. So um, I, I, I like them this year. And this is I'm excited to see this game. I think Jared Butler – prime time for Baylor and then all of Gonzaga's power as well. It's just, it's, it's going to be fun to watch. Yeah, this, this is going to be an incredible game on Saturday afternoon. If Gonzaga wins this, I mean, it's so early in the season to be talking about this, but they really do have the potential to go undefeated, especially with their, their strength of schedule, which isn't great. They have such a balanced scoring attack. I mean, they can, 
uh, kill you with the three ball, score from the perimeter. They're able to pound it inside. And there's there's so many different ways that they can score. They're faster Gonzaga team than usual with this roster. I mean, they can you would they typically would beat you in the half court. Their execution's amazing. Their fundamentals, their screen quality, their cutting. I mean, it's such a fun basketball team to watch. Gonzaga most years, but especially this year, this is the best team I think they've had. I think you guys both said it, and I agree that they're clear cut number one in the country. And we'll see against Baylor what they do. I mean, we know what Suggs is. We were texting as that injury was happening, and we we were very worried. Thank God it was just an ankle, and hopefully it's not too serious moving forward. He's in the player of the year conversation. His stock was going way up. We talked about their big three, Timmy and Kispert. There's also Andrew uh, Nimhard. His passing ability has been incredible. I mean, he gets it in such tight windows to his bigs, and it's just it's awesome to watch. This Gonzaga team is a lot of fun, and Baylor has an awesome defense. I mean, they go defense. Their defense really helps their offense a ton. We'll see if they can shut down Gonzaga on Saturday. That's going to be this is going to be an incredible game might be the early candidate for game of the year and you mentioned the passing abilities of Nimhart, but just as a team in general i think they pass the ball the best in the country uh just watching the, over the last couple of games they whip the ball around like crazy they break the press in two seconds and they find the open guy and it seems like sometimes they it, where a possession shouldn't be a fast break they turn it into one just because they can pass the ball so well and that just helps them score and they've been scoring like crazy uh, yeah. so efficiently too so when you pass the ball like that you're going to have success and I think they do it better than anyone in the country I think we're also one of those unselfish teams in the country too all right another matchup this weekend in college basketball is Villanova number 12 in the country originally was number three they lost one of their first three games and now they're at Texas they're going to be playing at Texas who's been very impressive just won the Maui Invitational Championship that's going to be 1 o'clock on ESPN on Sunday. These are also two programs that have been great so far. What do we, what do we think of this one? Um, I do not think this is a 12 versus 17 matchup. Uh, for reference, if you look at Ken Palm, Villanova's three and Texas is four. I think these are two top ten teams in the country. Texas has been extremely impressive winning the Maui Invitational. Um, Matt Coleman has really been their rock. Uh, he hit the game winner uh, last night against UNC, the senior from Norfolk, Virginia. And then you look at Greg Brown, who is a McDonald's All-American, the star freshman coming in. I think Texas has a lot of talent. Uh, Shaka Smart has probably his best team in Texas. Uh, Shaka Smart with hair now, by the way. I don't know if you guys saw that. Crazy. Never yeah. thought I'd see the day. But um, the ball. Yeah, Texas. But Texas has looked great. Uh, Villanova, I think, has looked pretty good. Other than the overtime loss against Virginia Tech, I think that was just that's just going to be a whip on the radar. I think Virginia Tech's going to end as a top 25, top 30-ish team under Mike Young. I think that's just a bad game for uh, Villanova. I think Villanova will end in that, like I said, that three, maybe top five range. Uh, I think they're a great team. Jay Wright, obviously, in my opinion, he's he's the best coach in, in college basketball. It's obviously up for debate, but he's one of the best coaches the sport has to offer. Uh, he's got a lot of talent with Jeremiah Robinson, Earl, Colin Gillespie. Uh, just a lot of guys there for Villanova. I think this is going to be a good game, and – like I said, not a 12-17 matchup. I think this is this is more of a top five, top ten caliber game. Yeah, I think the recency bias has moved Villanova down, but they're a top team as well. Uh, and like you said, Ben, top five. This is top ten material here, despite the rankings. But Texas has been great so far, um, and they've been they've had some tough competition as well. North Carolina, Indiana, uh, in that what are they in the Maui Invitational? In, in Asheville, North Carolina. Yeah, in North Carolina. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I think, I think these, as I said, these ranked teams playing against each other early on is just so exciting for college basketball. And the ability to just schedule games like this and go right into the swing of things is why these teams are so good when they come play their conference. Uh, it, it's different than what Maryland, Maryland has a lot uh, less – I don't know the I don't know the right word, but their non-conference opponents are are not the high-caliber teams. And when when you see Gonzaga facing Baylor and you see Villanova facing Texas and all the other ranked teams, they're going up against each other. It really gives you sort of a of an idea of what your team is early on, and that could change. But it, it gives you an identity kind of early on, and it, it shows you uh, how you are going to play moving forward, and it gives you that momentum as well. So I like these matchups, and I think Villanova will handle it 
on Sunday. Yeah. My pick before the year to win the national championship was just the hardest thing to do in college basketball, but it was Villanova. I'm not really worried about their one loss. This this is one of Jay Wright's best teams that he's had there, and he's won two national championships in 2016, 2018. The difference between that 2018 team is they had to rely on the three ball so much. This team can pound inside Jeremiah Robinson Earl. He can score. He's a legitimate three-level scorer. He can shoot three, post up anyone, um, hit the mid-range. He's a great player, one of the best. Like, he's a forward, but he really plays on the perimeter a lot. He's one of the best players that Nova's had a long time. Also, Jermaine Samuels, another forward. So they don't need to rely on the three ball as much. But, of course, they have guys that can, and Justin Moore, Cole Swider, um, and their guard, Colin Gillespie. He's not Archie. He's not um, Jalen Brunson. But he's, a, he's developed into a really nice player. Jay Wright's teams always get better as the year go on. The most fundamentally sound teams, they consistently buy in. I agree that he's the best coach in the entire country. And I think I'm excited to watch Villanova against Texas. It's going to be a huge game. Shaka Smart's been very impressive with that program this year, and they have a lot of athleticism. The only thing that I want to see more from Nova is just their defense. I mean, they don't have that great rim runner, I mean, that great um, rim protection, and they've been getting blown by on the perimeter a lot, which is not really characteristic of Nova teams, especially not Gillespie, who was one of the best on-ball defenders in the country, I thought, last year. And now it seems like he's taking a step back. I'm not really worried about it. I just I think they've been giving up too many points early. I think they'll turn around. But I, I love this Nova team. Yeah, like you said, uh, Villanova, if, if you think of a team that improves as the year goes on, it's always Villanova for me. Yeah. No one improves more over the course of the season than them. All right. That's – oh, wait, picks of the week. We'll do picks of the week real quick. Um, do we have anything this week, football, basketball? I haven't really looked, to be honest. Like, I, could, I could find one quickly. Give me Florida every day. Give me, give me, give me Oklahoma State at TCU. Oh, only favorite right too. Give me Oklahoma State by touchdown. I like um, Auburn plus seven. I actually think that's going to be a closer game as we talked about against Texas A&M. That's my pick of the week. All right. What's yours? No, I was going to wrap it up. What's your pick? I'm going Florida Gators in football, college football. Covering a 17 and a half point spread against Tennessee. Like that. All right. That'll do it for this week. Thanks for listening to Collegiate Chaos Pod presented by WMUC Sports. Those picks, as always, we're not telling you to take them. We're just offering some fun little uh, uh, bits of advice. All right. That'll do it for this weekend. For this week. Thanks for listening.